Our topic this week out of the book of Malachi, chapter 1, Great Among the Gentiles. Starting in verse 6, because we did verses 1 through 5 uh, last week and not necessarily directly related, other than the first verse, the first two verses, kind of sets the theme for the whole book, uh, where uh, Malachi starts by saying, the burden of the Lord to Israel, and so starts with this burden that the prophet is giving, a four-chapter book, and, and, and then that I have loved you. And that's a great way to start, I have loved you. And that's again the theme of Malachi, the God's great love for us. And then he continues, but you have not loved me. Or not those exact words, but that's what then comes out. You have not responded to this love, this demonstration of love, my manifestation of love towards you. And so then throughout the rest of the book is various different ways that God has shown his love towards us and how we have not reciprocated it. And so it's uh, the burden of the Lord upon Israel to Israel. And maybe that's why the prophets aren't preached as much as some of the other parts of the Bible, because uh, that's why the prophets were sent. It's the burden of the Lord, right? It's this heavy, heavy stuff. But we want to read the whole Bible, right? We don't want to miss out on anything that God has for us. And again, the majority of the Bible, the majority of God's word to us is to correct us, to improve us, right? And to make us better, because he doesn't want to just pat us on the back and say, great job, and everything's wonderful, when you know, in reality, it's not. And so God wants to teach us and uplift us uh, out of our current situation and continually improve us uh, for his honor and glory. And so this section, he starts with, a son honors his father and a servant his master. And that's the Bible, the commandment, the fifth commandment says to honor your mother and your father. And it's a commandment that has a blessing that you will be blessed and in the land and, and long life to the third and fourth generation. Um, but uh, it's also kind of common sense, right? There's usually just a normal respect, especially when the kids are very young. They are dependent on the parents, and so the, they, they, they look up to them, they need them, they need them to feed them, they need them to change them, they need them to provide for them, to drive them places, to buy them stuff, and until they become teenagers and then they think they know everything and <laughs> they don't think they need anyone. Uh, but then uh, often they come around, maybe at the age of 30, 40, 50, they start realizing, hey, they knew more than I thought they knew. And then usually by the end of life and the parents are gone, we're thinking, boy, I wish my parent was here. I could ask them this question. They knew a lot about such and such. And, and then we miss them. And so there is that honor or that respect and healthy relationships. And I know not everybody has been able to benefit from a healthy parent-child relationship. But often that is the case. And the same with a servant to his master. And uh, even a, under a servanthood, a, an indebted servant that's paying back a debt, there's still a respect. And certainly in a, in a system such as an employee and employer, uh, there's a respect that the employee has over the, the employee because he's paying his salary or that he... Again, he, he has the business or he has more education or that he's in a position because of more experience that he's the manager or the owner, that there should be a natural respect from those that are being hired and trained or, 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 or learning or helping or participating in the job. And so an honor should be done there because again, whether because of position or because of time spent in the position, whether again as parent or, or employer or manager uh, or because of expertise that one has over the other, 
And so there should be a natural honor that takes place. And then he continues and says, if I them am your father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? And so God here refers to himself in two different capacities, both as father and as master. And so he begins with the first, a son honors his father, just kind of in a natural setting, but he says, I am more than just a father, I am the father, the father of all beings. I created all things, I am the creator, I am the father God, as we say in the prayer of Vinu Malkenu, our father, our king, right? He's our father, our heavenly father, he's often referred to. And he thus deserves our honor and our respect because everything is dependent upon him. He created us, he brought us into this world, he gives us breath, he gives us the ability to breathe, he gives us the ability to get wealth, he gives us brains to learn, he gives us hands to, to act and work, he gives us feet to move, he gives us uh, the ability to live. He's given us abundance of fruit and vegetables and foods to eat, to nourish us and our bodies, to be able to digest it and to assimilate it and to make it into flesh and blood and growth and, and energy. Actually amazing number of processes that have to go through just to do those things. For plants to grow, for us to eat it, for our bodies to accept it, and then make it useful and turn it into energy and all these other things. It's absolutely amazing. It could no way happen by chance, all the different uh, relationships and symbiotic relationships that have to take place just for that to happen. And so we're dependent upon him. Try and breathe without him for a little bit, right? Try that. We need him for everything gives us water to drink, and that's another amazing thing, the whole water cycle and how our body interacts with water. It's absolutely, in all creatures, it's absolutely amazing. And so he is the father, and thus he deserves honor, and yet he often doesn't get it. He doesn't get it from society, they don't recognize him. From the world, he's not acknowledged, often denounced, often blamed. An act of God, if some hurricane or something destroys the home, or in a curse, not often as blessings. And then even we as believers don't honor him as much as we should and acknowledge him and thank him more often. And praise him more often and serve him as our creator and honor him in that way. And then secondly, as a master, he calls himself a master. And here it's interesting, it's the word adon, adon, like a, like a don alum, uh, but here it's adonim, which means lord, often translated as lord, not so much master, but lord. Like, uh, but here it's in a plural sense, adonim. So really, it should be translated as lords. If I am lords, where is my reverence? That's kind of interesting there. So the Father is singular, and then Master, Lord, is in the plural tense. And so he's not only our Father, a loving Father, a loving Creator, loving Sustainer, but also Master, also Lord, Judge, able to dictate, able to say what is best, what is not best, what to do, what not to do as Lord. Now, since he's a father Lord and a loving Lord, he tells us and gives us these rules and these regulations and these duties for our benefit, 
not just to satisfy himself, not just to take some slaves to make them build me a pyramid to honor and glorify myself, but tells us what to do and what not to do because that's in our best interest. And he loves us with an everlasting love. And when he sees that we refuse that, if we refuse and enter into rebellion, and not only will we hurt ourselves, but we will hurt others, he is master, he is judge, he is Lord, and he is able to put that to a stop, whether that's kicking Lucifer and one-third of the angels out of heaven, or the final judgment upon this world, or a flood in Noah's day, or fire in Lot's day, or however he chooses to be Lord and bring judgment, and whenever he chooses to, he is master and Lord and thus deserves honor and respect. And any army situation, again, commanders deserve more respect and honor and to be obeyed. And in a judicial setting, go before a judge, they should have our respect, they should earn the respect, <laughs> but they should also, if they've earned the respect, they should also get the respect. For the position. I've been in some courtrooms today. It's absolutely horrendous what I see going on. People with drug charges walking in with t-shirts, totally horrible sayings on it that don't show any remorse for their actions. But that's another, I guess that's a tangent, but we should respect God. Even though this society has lost this sense of respect and honor for any authority and how much more for God, taunting his judgment, just like in Sodom and Gomorrah's day, directly taunting that very thing, taking the symbol of God, the rainbow, and twisting it and perverting it to just the opposite of what God intended it for, that he will not judge the earth, and then flaunting that very symbol in his face in disobedience. Sure, that was intentional. If not by humans, by Satan. It's a lack of honor towards God. And we also, even as believers, because this chapter is the burden of the Lord towards Israel. Not towards the world, but to people professing to follow him. Who know him, at least know him scripturally. Know him in their minds but not loving him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. Not honoring him as a father and not obeying him as a master. And we will be held to a higher account. Judgment will begin with the house of Israel. Judgment will begin with those who have more knowledge and have had more opportunity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, to you Kohanim who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? So again, he's talking not only to Israel, to, but to the Kohanim, the leaders. Despising your name. And then we answer back in ignorance, oh, how have we done that? How have we despised your name? Similarly in verse 1, I have loved you, how have you loved us? How have you demonstrated love towards us? And how have we disobeyed you? How have we despised you? In Revelation, it talks about 
the last generation, the last group of people that would live on this earth, described as Laodicean, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and worse off than anything, and know it not. We don't really even recognize our own condition. We think we're okay. Even as the number of professed believers is dwindling and not increasing, and we still think we're okay. A worldliness is on the march. Absolutely horrendous, I'm seeing. Bumper stickers on cars with four-letter words. Unbelievable. Little kids learning to read, five years old, in their parents' car, seeing bumper stickers and flags with out-and-out curses on them. What has happened to our society? We don't honor anything. We don't honor anyone. We don't respect anyone anymore. It's we who professed. We've despised his name. We've despised his honor. We've despised his glory. And then we ask, how have we done so? And so he answers them. You offered defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? We say, well, okay, so they're going through the motions. Again, he's not talking about atheists here. He's not talking about agnostics. He's not talking about those in open rebellion. He's talking about those who are going to services, who are in the temple, who are participating in the activities, who are offering sacrifices. People are bringing sacrifices. And the Kohenim are accepting these sacrifices and then offering these sacrifices to God. There's a fault on the part of the people bringing these blind and lame sacrifices, and there's a problem on the Kohenim parts that are accepting it and saying, hey, it's okay. And giving the feeling to the people that their sacrifices are accepted before God. That their offerings are accepted before God. That their lifestyles and their choices are acceptable before God. And we have that in society today. Where ministers are saying everything goes, anything goes, however you want to live, whatever lifestyle you want to live, regardless of what the Bible said, that was old, as long as you're forgiven, that doesn't matter. And it does matter. We're accepting these lame sacrifices and thinking it's okay. Half-hearted service to God. Not giving him our best, the whole aspect of the sacrifices, the whole Torah, the whole book of Leviticus, on what type of offerings, without blemish, without broken foot, without broken leg. And, and the people themselves, the Levites, had to be without blemish as well, or they couldn't serve. Symbolizing the importance and sacredness of both the offering and the offerer. There was physical as a demonstration, but symbolic of that our hearts need to be right with God. And that what we give to him needs to be at with the right motive. And the best. There are places that accept donations to sell them, Salvation Army, other groups like that, religious organizations. And if you've ever looked and, and brought stuff to donate and you look at what some people have brought, <laughs> it's broken stuff. <laughs> Instead of putting it out for the garbage, they put it out to, the, to, the, to the Salvation Army or whatever. And sometimes that's what's given to God as well. What's left over. If there's any money left over after I've paid my bills and bought my stuff, 
then I'll give to God. In our time, what we give to God in our time, what's ever left over, if we have time. Lame sacrifices. Not our best, not our best talents, not our best abilities. But we offer this and we say, well, we're okay. I did my duty. I went a few times, I gave a little bit, I helped out some. I gave some advice. Kind of like the story, he comes home from work and walks in the door and wife says, how was your day? Oh, it was a long day, it was hard. Oh man, they worked me so hard. It was horrible, it was hot and the difficulty. We had all these problems and I'm just wiped out in traffic on the ride home. It was miserable. Ah, I can't do anything. He just falls down on the couch. He says, oh, if you could even bring me my supper, I could hardly move. Oh, I'm just, it's wiped out. His wife says, oh, because you said, you know, this is the day we were planning, we were going to clean the garage together. He says, no, I can't, oh, not tonight, just not tonight. Maybe tomorrow, just not tonight. Then the phone rings, picks it up. Oh, we were planning a foursome for golf, but uh, Jim can't make it. Can you fill in? Can I fill in? Sure, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Jumps in the car, grabs the clubs, and he's off, right? Choose what we have energy for. Choose what we want to spend our time on. Choose where we give our best. And God is often last or somewhere down on the equation when he needs to be first in everything. That's the whole principle of the tithe, that he's first. First in our daily activities, first in our worship, Worshiping him first, spending first part of the day, first in everything. It's the principle of the Sabbath, too. For God, man's first day of creation was to spend with God as a break, as a benefit. He didn't have to work for six days and then rest, but everyone was created on the sixth day, his first full day. And he was spending it with God. Dedicating first to God. God's first fruits. The whole principle of first fruits. What's gathered from the trees, given to God, the best. Not what we choose. Not what's left over. And what God designs and how God designs. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. Abel offered the right sacrifice, what God said. Cain offered what he chose. Bible doesn't say whether it was good or not good as far as the product, of the, the, the fruits of the field that he offered. Some people interpret it as it was rotten, but it might not have been. It just was not the right one. Blood sacrifice was needed, and he didn't. He gave what he wanted to. And God warned him and said, you won't, if you do what's right, it'll be accepted. If you don't do what's right, it won't be. Giving what God says. Not changing it to our, what works best for us. Not what we think, but what he says. So we do it the way we want, what we think, what's convenient for us, what works around our schedule and our lives, and what's left over, and then we think we're doing okay. How have we defiled you? 
by giving lame sacrifices, blind, sick. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul hits on this. He says, I beseech you, I plead with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, please, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. He's our Heavenly Father. It's reasonable. He's our Lord. It's reasonable to expect that we should honor Him, that we should present what's best to Him. It's a reasonable service. It's not unreasonable for God to expect that from us. A living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice. I can't tell you how many phone calls I get of people who are basically dead. From hospice, can you come and pray for this guy? He wants prayer or, or his family, she's unconscious, but her family wants you to come and pray for her. Oh, what's her name? Give me the name, I don't know, let me check my, never met her, never, not on our mailing list, nothing, nothing. Don't know her from nothing. How long has she lived in this area? Oh, 40 years, 40 years. And now she's dead and wants a prayer. Sometimes even after they're dead, will you come and do the funeral? I'm telling you, a funeral for a dead person is not going to get them to heaven. Okay, what you pray, what you anoint, what you do, when we're dead, we're dead. A living sacrifice while we're alive serving God. Not when we're dead. Living for God. Holy acceptable to God by God's grace allowing God to make us holy to live holy lives for him by his power so that we rightly represent him he wants to make us holy you shall be holy because I the Lord your God am holy I am the Lord your God that sanctifies you I am the Lord your God that makes you holy that he cleanses our hearts and our minds so that our thoughts and our motives are pure before him and holy before him. And we present our lives holy before him in holy service, in godliness and in goodness, in kindness and in mercy and in love. And he makes us holy. That he gives us beautiful thoughts and beautiful attitudes. That's what Beatitudes is. Beautiful attitudes. God wants us to have beautiful attitudes. Loving, merciful, kind, helpful, gentle, caring, forgiving. He wants to transform us so that our lives are beautiful flowers for him, demonstrating his glory, demonstrating his power to transform us and to change us. And we give our lives over to him, surrender to him for his service. And also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, also from Rabbi Paul, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? 
for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to God. He's our master. He bought us. He hired us. We are his. We owe everything to him. We are his temple. He's building us up. Not as a disgraceful discard. And Malachi, again, was living in the time of Nehemiah, or right around that time, in the temple wall or the walls of the city being rebuilt. It had been left there in, in shambles for years. He was referring in 1 Corinthians that we are holy temples to be built up, to be raised up for him. put borders on our ears and our minds to shut out that which is evil. Our eyes, the avenues to the soul, our thoughts, what we put into our minds, the thoughts we allow to run through our minds, the negativity, the doubt, the discouragement, the fears, the worries, what we allow to come out of our mouths, the gossip, the backbiting, the negativity, what we watch, what we listen to, programs, books, magazines, the websites, what we read, what we look at, the videos, the video clips, what jokes, what are we putting in to God's holy temple? Pure and holy sacrifices, pure and holy things, What are we bringing in to our minds? What are we bringing into our lives? What are we bringing into our bodies? What are we eating? The junk that commercials tell us to eat? Absolute garbage that they're throwing at us? And pushing it down us? Or are we putting in to make the physical body as healthy as possible so the physical body and the mental part of our bodies can serve God fully and completely, that we present our bodies as living sacrifices for him, holy to him. Mind, body, soul, and spirit fully surrendered to him for God's perfecting of the saints, for the building up of the temple, for the glorifying of God, in our body and in our spirit. Spiritual as well as physical. God wants to renew us and transform us and change us. Bring us back into his image as much as possible here on this earth and then for eternity with new bodies. Stop defiling ourselves with things that corrupt the brain, deaden the kill brain cells and weaken the heart and the mind and the lungs and the body that wear us down, that tear us down. Build the body and the mind up in service and praise towards God. And among professed believers, again, he's speaking here to Israel, he's speaking here to the Kohanim, we, I think, in some ways are for first and foremost in demonstrating just the opposite of love and obedience and holiness. Because we got this false 
narrative of, well, we're just forgiven anyway. So we feel like we're going to heaven regardless of what we do, regardless of how we live. It almost gives a license to live even worse than someone in the world. Because we feel we have God's blessing for our disobedience and our rudeness and corruption. And God wants to do just the opposite in us. Back to Malachi, verse 8. Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Yeah, try and give that, bl that blind and lame sacrifice to your governor. Do you imagine someone offering, inviting you over to come for dinner and, and you ever can't like, bring anything? And Yeah, sure, why don't you bring a salad or you know, why don't you bring some juice or something, right? And you bring something that's spoiled, you bring something that's it's all soggy, you know, old and... I think of someone going on a date, right? What are they, on the, on the first date, they're going to put their best foot forward, they're going to clean, take a shower, they're going to comb their hair, they're going to look presentable, or are they going to bring a lame sacrifice? If we don't do it for humans, we don't do that for our boss, right? Going for a job interview, stinking from four days of not showering, ripped shirt, I know someone who, I've never seen him, I've known him for years and years, never seen him wear a suit in his life. Went on a job interview and he had a suit on. And it wasn't even for a desk job. Somewhere in the back of his mind he knew, if I want this job, I better look my best, and my best might be that suit that, sitting in the back of that closet somewhere that I got from somewhere, from some wedding I went to. Why would we present the best to the world? and not to God. As we say, give it to your governor. We'll be on time for our job, we'll be on time for our other people walking into a store, people we don't even know. And we might watch, oh, I better not say, oh, anyone watching? Anyone say, oh, anyone see me do that stupid thing? We'll curb our our words and our actions because of people looking on that we don't even know. And then when we're by ourselves or in our home with our family and God watching, God looking in our motives and our hearts and our thoughts and we don't care. We're not ashamed of God seeing us but we're ashamed if someone else sees us. Offer that to your governor and see if he accepts that. We're concerned for cutting our grass because our neighbors might see it, but we don't care what God sees in our minds. And we think we're okay. Concerned that the homeowners association might come down on us, but we're not worried about the judgment of God. I know the homeowner association can be really bad, but who do you think is going to have a higher standard? Homeowner association or God? He's going to let us into heaven for eternity? When he kicked out its covering angel? 
God calls us to a higher standard by His power, by His grace, that He wants to build us up, that He wants to lift us up, that He wants to raise us up to glorify Himself, put us on a pedestal as an example to the universe. Look at what my power can do to transform a rebellious heart, a carnal heart. Look at the power of God. More powerful than that than, than parting Red Seas and, and bringing fire down from heaven is the power of God to transform you and me. And when we live professed holy lives and degrade it, giving him what's least, giving him dirt, giving him garbage, giving him what's last, giving him leftovers. Right, would you invite your date over or your neighbor over for leftovers? Giving him leftovers. They won't accept it favorably and neither will God. Verse 9, But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? He invites us, entreats us to seek God's favor. To turn to him in repentance, in confession, asking forgiveness. And he will graciously accept it. He's already paid the price for it. He's already given his son. He's already given his best for us. He won't withhold anything else. He won't withhold mercy and forgiveness towards us. If we, he's already given us his son. He's already given us. He's already sacrificed. She has already sacrificed himself for us. Certainly he will forgive us if we come in sincerity of heart and true repentance and true confession. And then more than that, he will not only forgive, but he will transform, he will change. And we will come out better than before. Right on our business cards, I don't know if you ever noticed it, it says, come as you are and leave any, even better. Right? That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to come as we are, but he expects us to leave even better. That he makes us better. That he purifies. Like the gold tried in the fire, right? Comes in with the clump of dirt, and he purifies it, and then it comes out even better. Goes through that pressure, goes through the heat, burning off the dross, and then coming out even shinier than ever before. That's what God wants to do in us. The butterfly comes out of the cocoon even better, more beautiful. That's what God wants to do in us. Too often believers come out like cicadas, even uglier and worse than they went into the cocoon. He entreats us to come and surrender to him. And he will be gracious to us. Who is there among you who would not shut the doors so that you would not kindle a fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. He's saying, isn't there someone? Again, he's talking to the Kohanim, he's talking to Israel, talking about the temple. Is there anyone who won't shut the door? 
Don't let them keep on bringing these lame sacrifices in. Isn't there anyone who's going to call sin by its right name? Stop patting them on the back. Stop telling them that you're okay, I'm okay. We're not okay. We need the Lord. Shut the door. It's stop. better to shut down the service, shut down the temple, than to take these lame sacrifices and continue lying to ourselves. Continue to go through the motions when there's no real devotion. Who among you won't shut the doors? Shut the doors to our ears and stop listening to Satan's lies. Shut our eyes to the evil. Rebuke the negative thoughts by God's power, by God's grace. Shut our mouths from saying evil. Shut our mouths from digesting garbage. Who among you will shut the doors? And stop defiling God's temple. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 1, verse 11. From the rising of the sun, the whole world, even to its going down, from east to west, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And it says it again at the end of the verse, shall be great among the nations. Now, I don't know why they translated Gentiles and nations. It's the same word, goinim. But for whatever reason, the translators of this version, same thing. That God's name will be magnified. How will God's name be magnified? How will God's name become great among the nations? How will he do it? How will he do it? Through us, exactly, through us. That's why he wants us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, so that they can see God living in us. So that they can see the Holy Spirit poured out of us. That God would be manifested in our words, in our deeds, in our actions. So that the funds come in to continue his work for the proclamation of his word. So that it will go to all the world. Because when it goes to all the world, then the end will come. Then we get to go home. Then the evil and the corruption and the sin and the degradation and the death and the sadness and the woe and the persecution, it will all end because we'll go home. He will come and he will destroy this earth and he will take us to heaven. He'll separate the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats. But he's waiting on us to take it to the nations, to every nation, to every tribe, to every people, to every language. He's waiting on us. And are we going to do that when we're giving him last, when we're giving him least, when we're giving him not the best? When our reasons are selfish? When our motives to, to come to the Lord are selfish, are we then going to be willing to sacrifice our lives and go around the world and take the gospel elsewhere? We're not willing to tell our neighbor or those at work or those at school 
how much more are we going to go and tell it to places that will kill us for going there? We won't give God our best in our offerings. How's the gospel going to go? How the world going to see? How the nation's going to hear? Oh, God could use angels, but he's not going to. He could write it in the sky, but he's not going to. He wants to write it in our hearts. And he wants to send us. Because we, again, are the manifestation of the greatest power of God's ability. A transformed heart. A transformed life. The angels who never sinned don't show the mag magnanimity of God as much as a transformed human being. God's miracle of writing in the sky or ever what a miracle he does is not as powerful as the miracle he wants to do in you and me. That's why we become the best example the most powerful example of God's grace, of God's love, of God's goodness. And so he wants to use him, you and me. But he can't use us until we surrender all. Until we give all. Until we give best. And willing, if any, like Yeshua told the young man, and sell all and give to the poor, and come and follow me, if that's what he called for us, that we willingly let go of everything. I just recently learned something that in some of these communist countries that lock people up for preaching or whatever reason, and they allow them to hold on to one item. They get to choose what item, whatever, it might be a comb, might be a pencil, might be a picture of their spouse, whatever, one item. And they then use that one item to control them. Because that's all they have. So it becomes more precious than anything. And they know what's now most precious to them because that's the one thing they chose. Maybe a Bible, whatever. The most precious thing. And then all they got to do is threaten to take that one thing away and they will get them to do anything they want. Surrender all. Hold on to nothing. Not one thing. Everything is God's. Willingly sacrifice all. Willingly surrender all. And if he chooses to give it back to us like he gave Isaac back to Abraham, then praise the Lord. But willingly laid it all down on his altar. God, what do you want of my time? What do you want of my energy? What do you want of my life? I surrender all to you as a living sacrifice. Living then sacrifice becomes dead like Isaac. Willing sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Lay down on the altar and given to God. Giving the best. That's why Abraham asked for Isaac. God asked Abraham for Isaac. Because that was his best. Most precious. We're willing to sacrifice all. And give all to God. And when we are. And do. The gospel will go to the world. And it doesn't take a lot of people. It took 11 people. In Yeshua's day. To take it to the end of the world. Plus Paul. So 12. And God can do it again. And will do it again. His name will be great among the Gentiles. The question is whether we will be part of it or not. Whether we will be among the twelve and be like Judas and be one of the ones cast out. Or whether we'll be one of the eleven that stay in.
or a pole that comes in and is used by God. But his name will be great among the nations. And of course, it's been fulfilled to a certain extent in Yeshua coming and the Gentiles coming, the nations coming. And when Paul went around to synagogue and synagogue and synagogue throughout the Roman kingdom, who did he find inside? Jews and Gentiles. Read the book of Acts. Everywhere he goes. Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue. So 400 years from the writing of Malachi, the last book in the first part of the Bible, the Jews took this to heart and started inviting the Gentiles in. And that's why when Paul went around to the synagogues, there were Gentiles in the synagogues. And in the temple, the second temple, there was a whole courtyard for the Gentiles. They were invited in and they were coming in. Because God said, my name will be great among the Gentiles. And God wants to use us in taking it to the Gentiles, the nations. Those who don't yet know God. God wants to use us. God wants to use you and me. And taking God's word to those who don't know him. And they need to see it more than just on paper. They want to see it in life. They want to see it lived out. And if we let the Holy Spirit live in us, they will see him in us. And his name will be great. A pure offering. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit is food. Its food is contemptible. Disregard it. Just, yeah. We treat more regard for people who chase a pigskin around grass. People will buy shirts with their names on it, put flags on their car announcing, this is my team. Spend lots of money on tickets to go to a stadium. Want front row seats. And we will for God. People we never met living in Hollywood who care less about us and actually treat us like dirt and what they say about us and what they think about us and they think about our freedoms and they dictate to us and lecture us and all they can do is memorize lines. Doesn't mean they know anything. We pour money to them hold them in high regard, give them fame status, lift them up, puff them up, emulate them, cut our hair like their hair, musicians. We copy these images of the world, become our idols. While disregarding God's word, we have lyrics memorized, teams memorized, names of them, and don't know the word of God. People will go and sit in a freezing stadium in snow and rain, stand online to get in, 
and can't make it to services. How many people you ever heard say, oh, I got to go to the game tonight? Hey. They say, I'm going to the game. You want to come too? I got an extra ticket. No, I got to go. I got to go to the game tonight. Oh, I had to pay for the ticket. I had to pay for the ticket for the concert. Oh, I got to pay my offerings. I got to pay my tithe. No. We're giving back God's what he had let us have 90% of. We're returning to him so his gospel will go to the world. We're giving him this little bit so he can take it to the world so we can go to heaven. So that all the world will know and then we get to go to heaven. So I'm giving this little bit to him. You should give too. I'm going to services. You, want, you should come too. Oh, I got to go to services. I when the last time you ever heard something? I got to go to the game. I got to go to the concert. What's our attitudes towards God? What type of attitude do we bring to His service? How do we think about read? Oh, I got to read the Bible. Oh, I got to have my devotions. Got to have my. Or do I love Your Word? It's my meditation all day long. Oh, how I love Your law. What's our attitude towards God's Word? What's our attitude towards reading God's Word? What's our attitude towards hearing His Word? What's our attitude towards coming to Him? What's our attitude towards giving to Him? And our attitude can change by surrendering it to God. God, I confess I'm carnal. I confess I'm sinful. I confess that my attitude has been horrible. Change me. Give me your mind. Let this mind be in me that was in Yeshua the Messiah. I want your attitude regarding your Word. Doesn't come naturally. Naturally, we hate his word. Naturally, we hate his services. Naturally, we hate him. That's why we need to be changed. That's why, we, that's why he came to save us from ourselves, save us from our stinking attitudes and our carnal nature. Fills with his Holy Spirit that loves him, that loves to sing in adoration and revelation. They sing around his court all day long. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. I love to praise him for all eternity. And that's the attitudes we'll have as we surrender our hearts and minds to him. Let him fill us with his mind, with his heart. Allow him to write his laws in our heart and in our mind. And give us a love for him and a devotion to him and to serve him. And put us on fire for him. And when people see that, they will be attracted to that. And our attitudes are right with him and before him. Surrendering the things of this world with heaven as our goal. In the persecuted world, in the poor parts of this world where things are difficult and trials, they're more interested in God. They have more of a longing for God. In areas where we got plenty and God has given us so much, there's less of an attitude towards him. That's too bad. He's been so good to us. He's a loving father. He's given us so much. And we are the least thankful. We have the highest responsibility. We have the best ability to take the gospel to the world. To be a light to the Gentiles. But we're profaning it. As a people. 
professed believers. Again, the numbers are dwindling, going down. We should have taken the gospel to the world long by now. And we're seeing in this country too, corruption, the, the hatred towards God, disrespect for God, disrespect for godly things, disrespect for God's word is disappearing fast. In the last generation, you can see the difference in 10 years, you can see the difference in 30 years, dramatic changes that have taken place. In this world, in conversation, in, in, in movies, and TV, things that, difference, total difference. We have a mission right here. And people are coming into this country, we can, we can share the gospel with them and then they can go on the phone or, or however they want to send the message back home, whether they get sent back home or they send the message back home, we can take the gospel to the world just by witnessing to the people who are here. All the various nations that are coming here, we have the opportunity to witness to them. Well, we still have freedoms and our freedoms are going to disappear very quickly. We won't have it much longer to preach the gospel. Our First Amendment rights are being taken away very quickly. We need to preach now while it is day, for night is coming when no one will be able to preach, where we won't be able to share anymore. God calls us to be a light to the nations, shining his glory through his Holy Spirit, through his power, so that we can go home. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it and say, the Lord, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Again, he repeats this several times because it's important. And we're bringing lame offerings and we're bringing a lame attitude. Oh, what weariness. Our attitude stinks and our offerings stink. The household of God we're talking about. Remember the ten virgins that were waiting for the Lord's coming. They were all waiting. That's the ones who were professed believers. And all ten were asleep. All ten thought they were okay. How have we defiled you? What, what's wrong? What have we done wrong? And not being fully consecrated, fully surrendered to him. Fully transformed by him. Serving the world, loving the world. If every professed believer had stopped spending money on the worldly things, all those companies would go out of business. But they're not. Because we're lockstep right with the world. Can't even tell the difference most often between someone who's serving the world. Oh, your neighbors, they'll know who, who you voted for. Your neighbors will know what your football team or baseball team or whatever stupid thing you, you like. Do they know what God we serve? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to what the Lord is to, to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So again, third time, his name is to be feared among the nations, brought to the nations by us. And at least third time, bringing lame sacrifices and making a vow and not fulfilling the vow. Making promises to God and not fulfilling our promises to God. Not living for him. He's made a vow for us. He's committed himself to us. He's given himself for us. 
And all he's asking for is appropriate response. He's given us love. He's loved us. He's given his son, and thus he expects us to love him back and to give ourselves to him. For he is a great king. So he calls himself father, and he calls himself Lord, and now he calls himself king. Three aspects of the Messiah. A loving, kind, in the flesh, human being come in the flesh as Lord, as judge, and then third, as king. He's a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and he is to be feared. As we take God's word to the world, sharing God, sharing the Lord, as a loving father, as a loving God. Many people haven't had a loving father, they need to see a loving God. As a Lord, as a judge, as a rightful giver of the laws, respecting the judge, and as king, as ruler, as master of all. And in your life, what are you needing today? You're needing God to be your father. You're needing someone close at hand, someone who loves you. Maybe earthly people have let you down. Maybe a mother or father has let you down. Maybe a spouse has let you down. Maybe your children have let you down. Maybe employees, employers have let you down. Or friends have let you down. He's come to us as a loving father, as a loving, he came in the flesh, as a brother, as a spouse, as a friend. All these are terms the Bible uses for God. What are you needing tonight? Are you needing him to be your friend, to be your spouse, to be your partner, to be your father, to be your mother? be close to you, to hug you, to know you in the flesh, and reach out to him and accept his hug, accept his graciousness. If you're needing a Lord, you're needing direction in your life, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's right, you don't know what's wrong, you need help, you, need, you don't know what the future holds, you need a Lord to give direction, to answer the questions, to solve the confusion, to strengthen you, to build you up, set you on the right path, to correct the wrongs, to correct the mistakes, and turn to him as Lord. Surrender to him as his Lord. Accept him as your Lord. Or if you're needing a king, needing a protector, needing a royal army to stand around you and protect you. The enemy is tempting you and pressing you in on you and stressing you. And you need the king, the gracious king that can grant forgiveness, that can grant freedom, that can grant deliverance. Needing to be freed from Satan's power, come to him as your king. Turn over the kingdom to him. We've been ruled by Satan long enough. Turn your life over to the king of glory. Let him defeat Satan. Let him stomp him down. Let him beat him down. 
And let him, the Lord seat you at the right hand of the Father. Let him sit you and clothe you in royal garments and place his royal crown upon you and raise you up in holiness. Raise you up to the high calling he has for you, prince and princesses with him. Whichever area you're needing tonight, in the moment when we pray, let God meet that need. Whether to save you, deliver you, protect you, give you guidance, give you direction, give you correction, whether to give you comfort, hope, help, accept him as your Lord and Savior. Accept him as your King. Accept him as your Lord. Or if God has convicted you, maybe there's areas in your life that you haven't been giving faithfully, whether financially or time or your mind or your attitude. I like to not only have devotions first thing in the morning and start the day, I like to end the day with devotion to God, praying to God. But sometimes the day gets so late, I'm there working, sending stuff out or the computer or reading stuff, and it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm so tired, and I want to make it the last thing, so I go to bed with the last thing of reading God's Word, but sometimes I can't even concentrate at that time. Not sometimes, any time. <laughs> and then God ends up getting, you know, just kind of get the worst of the day. We haven't been giving God the best in our time, in our attitude, in our devotion, in our lifestyle, in our talents, in our means, in our finances, in our lives. Giving him lame sacrifices, blind. In a moment, when we pray, you can confess that, you can surrender that to him, accept his forgiveness, entreat his mercies, Receive his forgiveness and receive his power, the Holy Spirit, to change you and transform you, that moving forward, he will be first and best and all. That he will receive all, that we will surrender all to him. Maybe God is convicting you on the need to take the gospel to the nations, starting with your neighbor or starting with someone at work or starting with a family member someone at school, the moment we pray, ask the Lord to empower you to go and to remove the fears and to go and to witness to that person, to share a card with them, to share an invitation, to share a book with them, to share a word with them, to share a piece, a loaf of bread with them or some kindness with them, share a conversation with them, start somewhere. A smile, share a smile with them, start somewhere, do something. Whatever God is impressing you for that specific situation, the gospel has to go to the nations, the world. God has no one else but us. No one else but you. No one else but me. Here I am, send me. Will we go for him? If that applies to you in a moment when we pray, we can surrender and receive the Holy Spirit for the empowerment of the power to witness and testify for him. So if any of those areas apply to you, and maybe some other area that God's impressing your mind and heart about, then let us pray and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for give, creating us. Thank you for all things. 
Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, come inside us and transform us and change us. We want to surrender our lives to you, body, mind, soul, and spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us honorable before you. Make us holy before you. And make us light to the nations that they may know you and your name would be glorified in this world. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.